What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, finding love on the NASDAQ, Bumble, IPOs. You can't go out to meet anyone. Then when you meet someone, what do you do? I'd send ab pictures, you know, that I got out of it. Yeah, that's me. Where rubber meets the road for Uber, driving profitability with CEO Dara Khosrowshahi. In 2021, we expect the whole business to be profitable and we expect the delivery business as a whole to be profitable. The timing of that is going to depend on when society opens up again. When will society open up again? As vaccinations ramp up, surgeon and writer Dr. Atul Gawande on strategy. We're basically seeing across the country, mass vaccination sites have helped us get to the point where at four times the rate of vaccination per day, over 1.5 million shots per day. Those stories plus Zillow surfing and Pepsi snacks. Fritos, Tostitos. So you have a toe fetish? No. no yeah, yes, T-O-S. It's Thursday, February 11th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Yesterday, Dow set another record. If you're watching what's been happening in the Treasury market, uh, comments from Jay Powell yesterday suggesting that the Fed is going to keep rates very low for a very long period of time. I think the phrase he used was a patiently accommodative monetary policy that learns from the lessons of the or that takes from the embraces the lessons of the past. In this particular case, the risks seem to be to the downside from a slower rollout of the vaccination or a less successful rollout of, of vaccination or from the new, the new strains. So we monitor all of that. And I think our, our view is that we need to guard against those downside risks and make sure that we don't move to modify our policy. In other words, to, to even think about uh, withdrawing policy support until we see that we're really through the pandemic. Andrew? Dating app Bumble pricing its IPO at $43 per share. It's above the target range. The Blackstone-backed company raised $2.2 billion at its IPO offering, and uh, shares are set to begin trading today under the NASDAQ uh, under the symbol, or on the NASDAQ under the symbol, BMBL. Joe? Trying to add up the pluses and minuses for that, uh, for that business. You guys thought about it? So you can't go out to meet anyone. Then when you meet someone... Right. Can, what do you do? Just hang out online or something? Or uh, I'd probably well, be yeah. pretty good I, online. I, 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 I'd, I'd send ab pictures, <laughs> you know, that I got out of it. Yeah, that's me. So out of men's health or something. And, um, Use your avatar instead? Yeah. No, but so how does it work? Do you, I mean, can you imagine the day when, where you are date uh, ready with a, like a, something that shows you had a vaccine or, or antibodies or something? Is that, that, that we have to get there? Or... or these are young people who, don't, who aren't really scared. How, yes, how it, I think that's that, where it's at, Joe. Really? Young people who are less concerned. Young people who are less and concerned. And maybe rightly so. And maybe rightly and, and Oh, the producer of the six just said that we can, we can poll the producer of the seven. 
to find out exactly how it works, uh, <laughs> which I can't believe they told me that. We'll, we'll talk to Matt. PepsiCo is just out with quarterly numbers. The beverage and snack giant earning an adjusted $1.47 a share for the fourth quarter, a penny above estimates. Revenue also came in above analyst forecasts, and Pepsi also announced a dividend increase. Uh, of 5%. I've said this so many times, guys, you know, if it ends in toes, sign me up. You know, all of them. Free toes. I I can't even pick. And then within the subgroup of Fritos, there's, you know, there's uh, Chipotle Fritos, there's uh, barbecue Fritos, there's, uh, there's twisty Fritos, and then, you know, Doritos look like you you get the scoops, and then the Tostitos, and then the Cheetos. Tostitos. Yeah. So you have a toe fetish. No. no. Yeah. Yes. T-O-S. Uh, T-O-S. And now this is what I want to ask about. This, this got my attention because I've, I've begged for a non-carb snack to dip into something, right? And, and they, they're working with Beyond Meat. So it's not going to be meat. It's going, it's going to be something else that maybe could be like, like a chip but not made of cauliflower, which I've had. Um, cauliflower is not bad, actually. I think it tastes like can't use my kid's term. Uh, yeah, ass, sometimes they say, which I probably shouldn't say. Uh, no, it, but, it's, uh-huh. mixed up, it's mixed up in some good ways. Like if you have cauliflower rice, it's pretty those, good. You had you those cauliflower, cauliflower pretzel, pizza dough pretzel pretty good. rods. Those things taste like. No. They're horrible. They're, I mean, they're cauliflower disgusting. pizza, though. Cauliflower. Did you pizza. try that? Yeah, cauliflower pizza, pizza works. crust is pretty good. Okay. All right. Could have been talking about a donkey, right? Uh, anyway. Sure. X, I said. Right, or a right. jack. Right. Yeah, right. right. Or a jack. Anyway. Check out shares of Zillow this morning. They're higher, too, after the real estate company beat on both the top and the bottom lines. There was a dip in revenue during the quarter, but that was offset by lower costs. And again, this has been another one of those stocks that's been climbing because, guys, while people are sitting at home staring at their four walls, they're wondering what's happening in other people's four walls, if maybe they can upgrade on some of those things. I don't know how much of this is translated into actual purchases, but I do know that a lot of people have been spending plenty of time kind of oogling for places they wish they could check out or they, maybe they wish they were when they're in the middle of, uh, of this pandemic lockdown. I had no idea that there was porn uh, on Zillow, Becky. Uh, that, uh, you know, that, it's, that, it's that's news to me. It's porn, you silly. It's, it's what? housing porn. It's 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 houses well, that you. I had you, no idea. You're looking you know, at that. You You're looking for. at that. Apparently, Andrew's on Clubhouse. I mean, is anyone watching? You know, Minnesota plays Purdue. You like Purdue, right? I got Purdue. And they you're get, on get, DraftKings. Okay, but you'll be looking at porn, and Andrew will be. Uh, uh, housing porn, you dope, with your toe fetish. And Andrew, you'll be on Clubhouse with Katie Kirk, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Um. Um. March Madness is coming up. Does that mean anything? We're going to try and do it. Is March there a Madness, commercial yeah. break to go to Lots here? Lots of betting opportunities. I had a, I had, you know what? I had big plans for noon. Game is canceled because of COVID. So many games every day uh, canceled. Yeah. So, uh, so maybe I'll go on no, Zillow. It's hard to join noon. us. There's plenty now to that see. I know. Now that I know. Coming up on Squawk Pod, getting back on the road post-pandemic ride-sharing with Uber CEO Dara Khosrowshahi. A whole new world of vaccinated riders and maybe Bitcoin. Just like we accept all kinds of local currency, we are going to look at cryptocurrency and or Bitcoin in terms of uh, currency to transact. That's good for business. That's good for our riders and our eaters. So that we'll certainly look at. 
Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. By now, most of us probably know someone who's been vaccinated against COVID, or at least someone who's been getting close to scheduling their vaccination. We've been waiting a year for this moment, fantasizing about where we'll go and who we'll see. And it's finally here. It's good news for almost everyone, but especially for the companies who rely on people going places, namely Uber and Lyft. This week, both companies reported their financial results for the fourth quarter of 2020, and they shared outlooks for 2021. No surprise, they're looking forward to getting back on the road again, just like the rest of us. Uber, while it's waiting, has teamed up with Walgreens to provide free rides to vaccinations for people in underserved communities. Widespread vaccinations will likely help boost Uber Uber's and Lyft's business recovery. But when demand increases, that is, all of us start hailing rides again in full force, they might have a driver supply problem. In the meantime, Uber has been leaning on its booming food delivery business. Growth in that segment has outpaced losses in ride sharing. Full disclosure, the Squawk Box family has seen its fair share of Uber Eats orders in the last 11 months. But things in Uber's mobility vertical may already be picking up. In the fourth quarter, for the first time since the pandemic started, Uber's revenue from the company's core ride-hailing business surpassed revenue from deliveries. Uber CEO Dara Khosrowshahi joined our TV broadcast this morning. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Dara, it's great to see you uh, this morning. Uh, let's talk about these Thank results you. and let's talk about, well, about the way investors uh, should think about this uh, and the way uh, you think they should be thinking about this. Well, listen, we're, we're not one to give investment advice one way or the other. We're, we put our heads down and we run the company. But if you look at the results in delivery, the growth continues unabated. We've got gross bookings growth of 128% year on year. Our revenue growth was over 200% uh, in a delivery segment. And losses are coming down. We're investing. But actually, in 15 countries now, we're profitable generating $100 million in EBITDA, $2.5 billion of bookings. So the question is to, like, everyone agrees, delivery can be big, but can it be profitable? The answer there is yes. On the mobility side, as things open up, our business comes back, and mobility, we've proven profitability for some period of time. So we feel very good about these results, and obviously investors can either make a bet on us or not. Um, but if we keep executing and growing the company, I think we'll be more than fine. Speak to, though, the timeline with which you think about the whole business being profitable, the core business, which I, which I know in, in, in many markets is, and then when delivery unto itself becomes profitable. Sure. Uh, we have said that in 2021, we expect the whole business to be profitable, and we expect the delivery business as a whole to be profitable. The timing of that is going to depend on when uh, society opens up again. But what we're seeing over and over again in places like Australia or Brazil or Taiwan is that as these uh, countries are opening up, for example, in January in Brazil and Australia, 
our volumes in the mobility business were down only about 20 to 30%. In a Taiwan, we're actually up now, uh, significantly up 16% in January. So what we know is, as the opening happens, uh, people come to ride Ubers again. Uh, we are seeing a share gain on our platform versus other modes of transportation. We've invested a lot in safety. We've, invest, we've invested a lot in trust and it's showing. And then the delivery business is going to continue to boom again. So what we're looking forward to is both of our engines pushing significantly positively. And we think that's going to happen by the end of the year. Maybe this is a, a meta or philosophical question about growth long term in, in the core mobility business. But in a post-pandemic world, do you think that more people are going to be using your service or less? And the reason I ask the question is because there's clearly been more car ownership uh, in many places. And there's the potential that people have left cities and are starting to go into other places and what that actually does to the business. I could see it cut both ways. Yeah, I, I think that that hypothesis is correct. So we look at the evidence. One is we're seeing growth, actually, of Uber in the suburbs as well, uh, which is actually pretty interesting. We have historically been more of, of an urban service with Uber Eats. And now with some people living in the cities, they're living in the cities, but they're still using our service, uh, whether it's going to work or whether it's going out on social occasions, et cetera. So I see wherever people live, they're going to use Uber one way or the other. The other factor that we see is Uber is coming back much faster than taxis. It's coming back faster than transit in some cases. And actually what we're doing now is we're investing in technologies with an acquisition of AutoCab uh, or RouteMatch that are going to power taxis and are going to power transit with our technology so that we can bring taxi and transit to the next generation. We think it's a win-win. It's a growth opportunity for us but it also creates more transportation opportunities for society at large, which we think is a good thing. I want to talk a little bit about the competition and potential pricing pressure in certain markets. I spoke with Lyft's president, John Zimmer, earlier this week uh, after his earnings report. And here's what, here's what he had to say about the competition. Lyft has, has been that underdog that has been doubted, has been counted out multiple times, and we keep coming back stronger. We keep growing our share. Our focus is paying off, and it will continue to pay off. Uh, so they're, they're showing that they... Uh, are, are not winning in the food delivery space, uh, that there is not the synergies that they pointed to, uh, and our focus uh, on transportation of passengers uh, will help us win in this space. Some, some fighting words from your biggest competitor. I, I'm curious how you react to that. Uh, I'm assuming by they, they uh, he meant us. Listen, I think that Lyft is a very uh, strong local mobility competitor. Um, if I had a choice to make, which is to own the largest global mobility player and the largest global delivery player outside of China, I'd pick the latter, which is where Uber is. So uh, we'll put our results up. We'll put, you see it in the stock price as well. Um, this is a unique circumstance. There's no other player who's global that is also in mobility and delivery at the size and scale that we are. And, you know, time will prove out. But I think this year you see our results versus, let's say, pure mobility player. Um, the results speak for themselves. We're much stronger. So one of the things I talked to John about, but I'm curious, if you're as successful as I know you hope you'll be, and the delivery business really does take off, frankly, whether you'll be able to be more price competitive than any other player on other parts of the business, like the mobility business, that would compete more directly with a lift longer term. 
Yeah, there's, uh, listen, the scale that we have, when you look at our engineering teams, about three quarters of our engineering teams are building common components for mobility and delivery, mapping, routing, pricing, identity, payments, et cetera. So we have a price advantage as far as the infrastructure and the technology that we're building. And when you look at our audience, uh, in Q4, our mobility business was accounting for more than 10% of first-time eaters on the delivery side. And as we're building up our audience on the delivery side, that audience is going to move over to mobility. Underneath it all, we're introducing, we're, we're growing our membership program. It's gone from 1 million members to, to 5 million members. It's going to ramp up even more. And it will be a unique membership program where you can get discounts on delivery. You can get discounts on mobility, on alcohol when Drizzly comes onto the platform, on grocery. No one else is going to be able to offer that. All of these advantages, um, it's, it, they're going to compound over time. Uh, and I think, again, you see our results in, on the delivery side. And when mobility comes back, we know we'll be a leader. Pandemic-related question. I know you're moving aggressively to try to uh, get access to vaccines for your drivers. Um, do you see a day where either you require your drivers to be vaccinated uh, to potentially argue would be a competitive advantage or on the flip side that you would require your passengers to be vaccinated to effectively protect your drivers? We're going to follow local health guidelines here. You know, the, these are calls for the government to make what the definition of safe is, people who go to work, uh, how, whether they should be vaccinated or not. In the meantime, we think drivers who are putting their lives on the line uh, should get access to the vaccine. So we're representing our drivers that way. And really the focus for us on vaccines is making sure that underserved communities and people who have a hard time getting transportation to get vaccinated are taken care of. And that, for example, is a partnership we announced with Walgreens to get people to a clinic and get vaccinated. That's the real focus right now. And frankly, that's what society needs. Uh, you, you recently announced the acquisition of, of Drizzly. I know you came on CNBC and, and talked to the gang on Squawk on the Street about it. My question was really about how you thought about the perception of a transaction like that, um, buying effectively an alcohol distribution company at the same time that you are in the mobility business and the driving business, and, and to the extent that there could be perception issues related to it. Well, I guess there could theoretically be perception issues there, but Listen, the people go to stores and they buy alcohol, and the vast majority of that is, is people going to stores. That's all going to change. Local e-commerce is here to stay, and we are going to be a leader in it, and we're going to play a part, whether it's food or it's grocery or it's medicine or it's alcohol. That's the way this world is going, and we're going we're gonna to be looking forward and being a leader in those kinds of trends. Uh, and it's uh, the question of the morning, or maybe it's been the question of the week. Uh, when you think about the cash balances uh, that, that Uber has, to the extent, uh, and, and hopefully there'll be a day where those cash balances get even bigger, um, we saw what happened with Tesla this past week, buying uh, a little bit of Bitcoin, or I'd say a lot of bit of Bitcoin. Uh, and now you have CFOs uh, thinking about this in a more meaningful way. Is, is that a conversation that's happened inside Uber yet? It's a conversation that's happened uh, that has been quickly dismissed. Uh, we're going to keep our cash safe. Uh, we're not in the speculation business. Uh, the upside in our company is in the business that we build, not the investments that we invest in. Any thought about accepting Bitcoin as a, as a mode of currency for your passengers? Yeah, listen, just, just like we accept all kinds of local currency, 
we are going to look at cryptocurrency and or Bitcoin in terms of uh, currency to transact. That's good for business. That's good for uh, our riders and our eaters. So that we'll certainly look at. And if there's a benefit there, if there's a need there, we'll do it. We're just not going to do it as part of a promotion. Um, and finally, I just wanted to ask you, we, we often talk about what the, f the real future looks like. And you've talked about uh, EVs and, 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 and helicopters and all sorts of stuff. Where do you think that really lands? And how do you think about your own investment in that world at this point? Yeah, so I think um, there's EVs and there's autonomous. EVs, we are leaning hard into. We have launched Uber Green now essentially all over the world. And what we want to do is have an economic way to give an advantage to drivers who are driving hybrid or electric cars and create the flywheel of moving from gasoline-powered cars to electric cars. And we're a leader there. We have said by 2030 in the U.S. and Canada, um, we're, we're going to be all electric by 2040 all over the world. So we are leaning in in EVs. With autonomous, we are very big believers there. Uh, we've made a big bet as it relates to the Aurora team, putting together our team with Aurora. Chris Ermson, who uh, was part of the original Waymo crew, we think is a real leader in the field. And we're going to have a very special uh, uh, partnership with Aurora. And I think you're going to find the Aurora driver on Uber uh, in a not-too-distant future. Uh, labor question for you. Um, I know your, your, your laborers are considered contractors, but does a $15 federal minimum wage potentially impact your business? And how do you think about it? Yeah, well, they, they are uh, contractors. And, and listen, when you look at, for example, Prop 22 in California, uh, we are uh, providing safety, a guarantee uh, of earnings for our drivers above the California minimum wage. So whatever the federal minimum wage is, uh, you know, I happen to think that uh, raising the minimum wage federally is, is a good thing, especially within our society where inequality is, uh, seems to be uh, going the wrong way. Uh, and if it affects Uber uh, and it's good for society, I'm all for it. Typically, our drivers make nicely in excess of those amounts, though. Okay. Derek Hazrachaki, we're going to leave the conversation there. It's always good to see you. We really appreciate you joining us this morning. Thank you very much. Next on Squawk Pod, vaccine distribution and doing it fairly with surgeon and staff writer for The New Yorker, Dr. Atul Gawande. What clearly is the challenge is that these mass vaccination sites are not everywhere. And there are major community holes where we're not reaching enough people and have to have added solutions, including new sites, but also creative approaches to bringing people in. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. 
Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. The federal government will partner with New York to build two mass vaccination sites in the New York City area aimed at getting vaccines distributed to minority communities. Joining us right now is Dr. Atul Gawande. He set up the mass vaccination sites in the Boston area at both Gillette Stadium and Fenway Park. Dr. Gawande is also a surgeon at Brigham and Women's Hospitals and a New York staff writer. In fact, his piece in the current issue profiles one North Dakota community that was hit hard by the COVID crisis. Atul, good morning. It's good to see you today. Great to see you, Becky. Why don't we start with those mass vaccination sites that, that you've set up? How, how are things going so far and, and where do you think the problems are? Um, so we've had a, a gradual start, you know, with planning really only starting around Christmas to get them launched. But at this point, you know, we're uh, up past 5,000 shots a day uh, across our two sites, wow. opening a site at Reggie Lewis track and field um, that, uh, that will also accelerate. And, and we're basically seeing across the country Mass vaccination sites have helped us get to the point where at four times the rate of vaccination per day, over 1.5 million shots per day. What clearly is the challenge is that these mass vaccination sites are not everywhere. And there are major community uh, uh, holes where uh, we're not reaching enough people and have to have um, added solutions, including new sites, but also creative approaches to bringing people in. Just in terms of uh, how much demand there is versus the supply, Scott Gottlieb has posited that, that he thinks maybe by April we'll start to see a flip where we have more supply than demand. I, I hope that's the case because there's still a lot of people who have no chance of getting a vaccine appointment anytime soon. Um, it's certainly the case. We're uh, reaching the point where I think the ability to administer the vaccine is growing steadily and we're going to hit we're hitting the bottleneck of supplies not being able to keep up with the number of appointment slots that we can create. At this point, we in, in big sites can increase, the, uh, can increase the schedule if there was more supply. Now, I would love to see mm-hmm. that the production get to the point that we have oversupply for, the, for uh, where we are. If we see the Johnson & Johnson vaccine approved uh, in the next couple of weeks, that will open up a new channel. And there's, you know, two more vaccines that are have good preliminary clinical results that could be coming in the next month or two. And that will be a big deal, having five different vaccines. What are the other two? Uh, that would be AstraZeneca and Novavax. All right. We'll cross our fingers on both those counts. Um, Dr. Gawande, you wrote in the most recent New Yorker uh, about a small town called Minot, North Dakota. Why did you pick that town? Um, I was interested in it because North Dakota in the fall had become the place with the highest rate of cases, hospitalizations, and deaths per capita. And uh, Minot was the hardest hit county in the hardest hit state in the hardest hit country in the world. And what I wondered was, why? What? what is keeping us from coming together? Can democracy succeed in helping, in, in enabling us to get things under control? And I started tracking things as, as things got worse. And you know, I highlighted a couple of people on the city council, one who proposed a mass mandate when the state wouldn't do it, a woman named Carrie Evans who had multiple sclerosis and medications that put her at great risk, and uh, a guy named Tom Ross who was strongly anti-mask. And you know, my, out- my conclusion was, it's ugly. 
we don't all pull together. Consensus isn't possible. We are afraid as a democracy, but it worked. And what you saw in the community was the mandate uh, came through at the local level, eventually the state did. It was only when the, the disaster was really upon them. But at that point, you know, North Dakota got to 89% of the population wearing masks most or all of the time, and the tide was turned. And, and the key being when people knew people who were very sick or who died, that maybe changed their certainly, minds? Certainly the case. It's not that it necessarily changed people's minds. Um, some of the people I profile had family members who became extremely, extremely sick or sick themselves, but were willing to make the trade-off that, uh, that, that if you know, people were going to get sick, they wanted the freedom to have life pretty much as normal, even if that was the cost. But the bulk of the society uh, looked at that and said they weren't willing to pay that price and voted uh, and backed the representatives who called for the, the masks to be instituted and limits on restaurants and bars put in place. It, you, know, you never get to consensus. The debate doesn't stop, right. but it does work. Atul, we haven't spoken to you since, since Haven folded, and you used to run Haven. I, I just wonder what you think the legacy of that was and, and maybe what lessons we've learned about trying to improve health care, uh, especially in light of COVID. Well, so Haven was the, um, the uh, health care startup from Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and J.P. Morgan Chase, and it designed to be one to bring uh, better healthcare solutions to the employees, uh, almost two million people uh, across who are covered along those uh, in those companies. And you know, the, the, one of the clear results was there were a tremendous number of ideas uh, that could be executed on, including uh, I was able to lead a team that built a new health plan with no coinsurance and no deductibles and was uh, popular and rolled out to uh, tens of thousands of people and, and are growing. But the implementation side, handing over the operations of implementing, moving benefits to one site among all of these companies, that, that went beyond what they were ready to do. And so implementation was going to be through their own individual companies. And that was the reason it was dissolved. Mm -hmm. I think the key lesson is some things can be solved by the companies. Some things have to be done at the government level. We made the mistake of putting you at the end of the hour. I've got more. I'd love to talk to you about this, but we'll have you back soon. Happy to talk to you. Thanks, Dr. Gawande. See you soon. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Subscribe to Squawk Pod and get us in the feed of your favorite podcast app every day. You'll get great interviews, thoughtful analysis, and cooking tips. Doritos, and then a Tostitos, and then a Cheetos. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.